1: My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job, not just to entertain, but to educate, teach, put it in context. Call me, 1-800-743-CBC. Tweet at Jim Kramer. Repeat after me. We got too negative. Again, we were blinded by all the talk about how China was about to lower the boom on us this weekend. We were blinkered to the possibility that our international stocks could mount a comeback. There was a widespread sense that today had to be a bloodbath. And that's why so many people were surprised by the big bounce this morning. Dow up 440 points at its peak, before going on to close up just 46 points. s and climbing 0.33%, Nasdaq rising 0.51%. Now, this was a powerful reminder that there's always a better time to sell than right into the teeth of a major self like Friday. Of course, the jubilation couldn't last. We gave up most of our gains when we learned about the FBI raid on President Trump's lawyer's office, uh, Michael Cohen. But the point stands. After the opening today, you know we got two negative Friday. If you wanted to sell, your chance came this morning during the rally, not Friday during the freakout. We've got to learn some discipline here, people. <laughs> Look, this market is crazy. But the, this morning we saw how a series of unexpected positives can send stocks soaring. And that's worth keeping in mind now that the Mueller investigation is making things even more chaotic and we have to keep checking the Twitter Twitter wire. All right, I want to start with what happened last night, because I think it's really emblematic of what I'm talking about. Now, going to the weekend, we figured that President surprise uh, surprised everyone, perhaps including his own team, by saying it may be time to hit China with an additional $100 billion in tariffs. The consensus was the Chinese would retaliate on Sunday evening. Oh, come on, tell me you didn't think that. People were terrified. Including yours Truly. I was checking the papers, the wires, the net, to see what the Chinese would do to us. I told my wife we couldn't go out. We had to watch for what China might do because so many people were expecting that it could cause a crash if they got belligerent. On Friday, I saw big shorts being put on Apple at the bell, which has become the bull's number one worry. If the People's Republic slaps a tariff on the iPhone or even suggests a boycott, it would devastate our market. Why? Because Apple stock is so darn big. But what actually happened? The Chinese pressured the North Koreans to disarm by banning the export of anything that could be weaponized. Rather than the escalation, like so many feared, China offered President Trump an olive branch, although I'm the only one saying that, but I don't care, because I think I'm right. No wonder the future started climbing Sunday white. No wonder Apple stock got caught, caught on fire today. Friday was the wrong moment to sell. That's my takeaway here. You got a much better chance this morning if you really wanted out. And, oh, and look, that's just the tip of the iceberg. We got too negative about takeovers. We assumed all this uncertainty would put an end to the urge to merge, right? Uh, nope. Just when we've written off M&A entirely, Novartis buys Avexus for $8.7 billion. No one even heard, well, few had heard of Avexus until this morning. What makes this deal so stunning besides the fact that the price tag was 88% higher than where the stock closed on Friday? Simple. Avexis is working on a drug for a thing called spinal muscular atrophy. It's an often fatal disease, sometimes known as floppy baby syndrome. Yet there's already a successful drug for this disease on the market, which did almost a billion dollars in sales this year for Biogen. That's right, Novartis is shelling out a fortune to acquire a company that many investors had given up on. Do you know a year and a half ago, the internal pessimists at Citron Research started covering Avexis with a $5 price target, calling it the next biotech blowup? Hmm, after the $94 bump today, it's now at $210. I don't think it's going to see $5 anytime soon. But Citron actually raised some reasonable points when it wrote it up. The drug Novartis covets doesn't have a big addressable market. It's not even an unmet need because there's already a competing product out there. Nevertheless, Novartis believed in Avexis, and that's all that mattered. Game, set, match. Suddenly, biotech, which had been among the worst of the sectors out there, justifiably came roaring back with avengers. Hey, speaking of drugs, last week's Mer- uh, Merck, big anti-cancer drug, Keytruda, had a huge setback when one of its clinical trials failed to meet its primary endpoint. I warned that there are so many combinations of Keytruda and other drugs in the works. Don't get discouraged. Don't get disheartened. Sure enough, today, Merck announced that Keytruda had great success against small non—against uh, Non-small cell lung cancer, and that is fantastic news for the sufferers of this terrible disease. Stocks soared nearly three points, ignited a rally in the moribund big pharma cohort. What else? All right, did we get too negative on Fang or what? Facebook's Mark Zuckerberg went to Capitol Hill today and prepped for his two-day testimony about what his company actually does with your data. Many of us were worried that Zuckerberg will blow it by not sticking to the script. And the script is, I apologize, I'm sorry. And then, I'm, uh, I apologize, uh, I'm the worst, and I, I'm sorry. Uh, but this morning, Facebook told us it's setting up an independent audit uh, with inspectors from both sides of the aisle to look at what the company's doing. Now, that's not as good as appointing an independent internal prosecutor like the NFL did for Deflategate. By the way, that's the gold standard, but it's a start. Oh, and two, uh, two different Wall Street firms confirmed that Facebook still hasn't seen any actual earnings per share fallout. That means Facebook, a 40% grower, sells it 18 times next year's earnings. Get this, value buyers finally stepped up to the plate today, and the stock rallied. Although, again, like so many others, it gave back some points at the close. Amazon. president didn't tweet about it, so was able to inch higher, although it was up big at the opening. Uh, and, and I've got to tell you, Netflix and Alphabet, they got no Chinese exposure, and neither had any negative headlines that I can see today. Well, Alphabet, unfortunately, is always one step ahead of the regulatory posse. Still, Fang was pronounced dead on Friday again. And today, Fang played Lazarus. Again, Lazarus being, you know, rose up from the dead. You can Google it. Talk about being too negative. The oil stocks have been going up with crude drifting lower. They positively swerved with oil up a dollar. Some of that's because the big oil companies that are working in the Permian told us that they've been able to lower their break-even costs. Some of it's because we're beginning to have some smaller takeovers as the bigger oil companies finally see some value in those little players. The group's so far behind the market that no one seems to care. I don't like the oil stocks because I think fossil fuels will be challenged by all sorts of alternatives in the next few years. But I guess they've been walloped enough. Last but not least, the negativity about the bank stocks seemed to crescendo on Friday, as some investors worried that the weak employment number may mean that the Fed won't give us the many rate hikes that the banks need to blow away the earnings estimates. Today, investors seem more convinced than ever about that they're missing some opportunities ahead of when the companies report on Friday. It's been a while since anyone's been concerned about not participating in the upside, hasn't it? Sure, again, I'm telling you, most of the upside, most of the gains evaporated late this afternoon. But the fact remains, people expected today to be a bloodbath You, me, everybody I know. And it was anything but. Can you imagine if this FBI raid had happened on any other day? We would have been obliterated. Here's the bottom line. President Trump's trade dispute with China is not the be-all and end-all of this market. I think there's simply been a vacuum of news about earnings and takeovers. So the endless negatives from Washington were allowed to take center stage. Now that earnings season's almost upon us, we can start to focus on individual companies again and their worth. And boy, I can't wait. So one more time, repeat after me, we got two negative Friday. And if you really want it out, the market always gives you a better time to sell. And I believe longer-term investors will be rewarded by holding on. And yes, as I said for about, I don't know, 20,000 Dow points, Staying the course. Brian in Connecticut. Brian!
0: Jim, I've held First
2: Cash for quite a while. It's been very good to me. Uh, Should I stay with it, uh, or should I break it off, break off the relationship?
1: Break off the relationship? It sounds like a love story here. The points... Look, the pawn story is intact. I've liked the pawn story for a long time. Um, it also, it's a way for people to make, make do. It's kind of trades with the dollar stores, and those have been all really good. So, no, I don't think there's a need to, to exit. How about Marshall in Vermont? We hardly get calls from Vermont. Marshall. Hi, Jim. This is Marshall calling again from Burlington, Vermont. How are okay. you? Okay. Oh, I'm good. How about you? It's been ages since I've been there. What's going on? It's, it's great up here. So my question is in regards to the potential merger between CBS and Viacom. So CBS stock has been on a downward slide for the past year uh, would a merger with Viacom help to turn things around for CBS? I got to tell you, Marshall, if are listening to my partner, David Faber, this morning talk about a potential deal. I wanted to I, I, I have to tell you, I, 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 I don't like it. I don't like CBS. By the way, I do like Verifone, which got a bid this very evening. How do you like that? There are bids. People have to stop being so negative. And we did get too negative on Friday. And that's a killer when it comes to making money. People were blind to opportunity. Please don't be that way. If you look at companies as actual companies instead of an S&P, good things can still happen. Well, Mad Money tonight, with so much worry over potential trade war, I'm pointing out the sectors that could hold up as Chinese tensions stay with us. Then the masters may have come and gone, but could an investment in the golf space be a hole in one for your portfolio? I'm hitting the links to find out. Magellan Midstream Partners has been struggling lately like the rest of its cohort. But not only sit down with the CEO, see where the company in that industry stands. So stick with Kramer.
0: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to at CNBC.com, or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com.
1: How can we adjust the market's mood swings? Last week, it was trade war. Every stock is finished. This is the end. My Only Friend, the end. Almost a door-style funeral dirge. Then we get another reprieve this weekend, and the averages come roaring back to life at the opening. Uh, But then now we're like a beaten dog, cringing away from stocks because we figure it's only a matter of time before the president says or tweets something antagonistic about China, or we get some special prosecutor news, like that FBI raid of the personal lawyer and confidant Michael Cohen that drove the overall market down at the close. And we get clobbered all over again. Here's the thing. For those of you who are sick of this trade war drama or, frankly, Washington in general, I've got 15 sectors that have been staggeringly unaffected by these tensions. And in a market that's increasingly trades on President Trump's trade policy, these 15 groups have become consistent winners. No one's talking about them. Some of them may surprise you. Let's take them one by one, starting with the telcos. Since your phone company has little to fear from China, lately Verizon started to get some lift, in part because it's a defensive stock of a purely domestic company. at has been acting better despite the antitrust trial over the purchase of Time Warner. Hey, perhaps this signals a potential win. Many investors are predicting at will prevail. Even CenturyLink is looking up. And that sky-high stuff, <laughs> well, you know, this is an unbelievable. It's got a sky-high 12.5% yield, which you know what normally would mean? It would normally mean a red flag suddenly everybody likes it. Second, the mall-based retailers and apparel plays. These stocks are winning, even though we keep hearing that they'll be big losers in any trade war because so much of the merchandise is made in China. Not true, by the way. In most cases, you know what? These companies can shift, get their textiles from somewhere else in the world that's cheaper, Cambodia, Vietnam, you name it. What about retaliatory tariffs Some big-name American brands with a lot of Chinese exposure like Nike? Well, the buyers sure don't seem scared. It's one of the best-performing stocks in the Dow. Hey, you know what? There are almost too many uh, to mention here, but I'm going to give it a shot. You got VF Corp, PVH, Tapestry, Michael Kors, Ralph Lauren on the apparel side. Strongest stock I can find in the book. Abercrombie. American Eagle looks great. The dollar stores are doing well. The dollar stores, you ever go in there? The whole stuff seems to be from China. While Home Depot, Lowe's, Walmart, and Costco stocks trade like they are based in China, they're terrible. Many of the big boys are doing fabulously. I like M- Macy's on this, still a little bit of decline today. Dillard's, Ross Stores, Burlington. TJX on a little bit of decline. Kohl's, which we've been telling ActionAlertsPlus.com club members, they should be buying. We're going to reiterate that on Thursday morning's club call. Even though the stocks up 60%. Yeah, retail's that good. Matt Boss from JP Morgan, great piece today about how the numbers are coming in better than expected. Third, the cloud kings. Until Friday, Adobe, Red Hat, Splunk, and Salesforce had all been pretty remarkable. Service now looks a little stalled, but it's still doing much better than the hardware or social media plays, though the weakness of the latter has nothing to do with China. Now, these stocks all came back to life today, particularly at the opening. They remain the best tech plays in town. A lot of them were able to withstand the Michael Cohen sell-off in the last hour. That's what I'm calling it, by the way. Here's another group that seems immune to everything. Cell Towers. Crown Castle, American Tower, SBA Communications, their stocks are worth buying into any major market-wide sell-off, while some of them have international exposure, like American. The demand for bandwidth is so great that it trumps any, oh, sorry, trumps any trade war fears. Plus, the Justice Department just doesn't have any appetite for consolidation among the telcos, which means they all need more towers. Fifth. This group is extraordinary. Health insurers and hospitals. Anthem and Humana look terrific. Centene. How do you like that? Michael United health They stand out like beacons whenever the market gets hit. They're totally domestic, and think I think their numbers are too low. I mean, that's why we own UNH for the charitable trust, another one I'm going to be talking about. I think the decline of the bell today is eminently viable for UNH. Hospital side, Tenet and HCA, gee, they look fabulous. They got nothing to do with China. Let the market knock them down and then pick some up into weakness. Six, I can't believe I'm saying this, the domestic wheels are hanging in there. I think Marathon Oil, Hess, Pioneer, Anadarko, hey, Conoco, best places to be. Aside from those stocks, I don't particularly care for the oils anymore. Too many younger portfolio managers who believe the future is electric regard this industry as the equivalent of big tobacco. But you know what? They've got winners. And uh, my, by the way, my friend Pete Nigerian talked about them this morning. They said uh, on Halftime Report, wow, pretty compelling. Next up, even better than the oils are the oil refiners. Boy, they're coming on strong. No exposure to China whatsoever. Huge beneficiaries of the Permian oil glut. This is a remarkable time for Marathon Pete Valero. Holly Frontier. I think you can buy them right now, but a Chinese-induced downturn would be even better. Eighth, oh, my God, I can't get real estate investment trusts. Can you believe us? They're bottoming. Now, some of that's because interest rates are no longer surging higher, but I also think they're beneficiaries of the fact that they're all domestic. Everything from the mall REITs, apartment REITs, I can't believe the mall REITs, but I'm saying it all here, people. Home care REITs are doing better. They're bottoming. When the Chinese trade issues surfaced and interest rates started going lower, making these higher yielders more attractive, People started grabbing them. Ninth, with rates down, the utilities are working. Doesn't matter which ones, as long as they have no affiliation with master limited partnerships. I want you to take a look at Con Ed. I want you to look at American Electric Power, two of my favorites. First, Energy has awful finances, but look at that stock. I'm not recommending it. Now, I have been partial to CMS, NRG, and Fuego. Tenth group, the restaurants. Weren't they supposed to be so bad? You know, higher wage costs, higher commodity costs. I don't know. A few weeks ago, people started buying them. You saw Cheesecake Factory and Cracker Barrel do well. Breaker do well. I think Chipotle has obviously bottomed Wendy's. We had on the show having a grand season. Darden's looking up, even after what I view as a, a ridiculous overreaction to a conservative forecast. I think managed simply wanted to underpromise. Even Sonic, which reported a terrible quarter, is getting some lift. Despite the worries about labor and commodity costs, the domestic restaurants are one of the best places to be. Hey, by the way, speaking of, uh, of restaurants, but not domestic, McDonald's doesn't have much real Chinese exposure. They offloaded it. It bottom four weeks ago. 11th winner, and we get a lot of upgrades here the brokerage stocks. Now, they shouldn't be doing like, this well, but they are. And they're led by E Trade and Ameritrade. Hey, you know what? I'm throwing in Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs, too. Uh, they, I've been buying the latter, by the way, for the Chapel Trust. This group does very well when the Fed raises rates, and more people are trading than people thought. Can you imagine? Number 12. The cybersecurity stocks are natural hedges against China, North Korea, and Russia, the big three state sponsors of cyberterrorism. Your best bets, Fortinet, and longtime Kramer fave, Proofpoint. But you also have my permission to speculate on a turnaround at FireEye after we interviewed the CEO when we were in San Francisco. You know, we got some viable weakness in the stock of Apollo Palo Alto Networks at the closing hours of the session. 13th Group. The companies that make life easier for mid sized to s- small-size, too. American businesses. I like Robert Half. And Inspirity. ADP looks good. I wouldn't rule out paychecks because the last quarter really wasn't that terrible. My favorite, though, another one that just exploded today, is Syntos. It's the uniform retail rental play. Remember they allowed number one and two to get to merge? Syntos, One of the best performers out there. Fourteenth winning sector. The home builders. These have all come roaring back ever since Lenar said the job market is so good that it can triumph over fears of higher interest rates. But you know what? China fears make rates go down, which causes money managers to buy the home builders. Not only are they increasingly immune to these trade wars, I mean, the stocks actually benefit from them. We don't build any houses in China, just in case you think that, well, something could be wonky there. Finally, best for last anything military. I like Raytheon as the best pure play on rising geopolitical tensions. Harris works, Northrop Grumman, even Lockheed Martin is coming back despite criticism about the cost of runs for the F-35 Joint Strike Fighter. General Dynamics, I eh, got a little too much luxury aircraft. Not there for that. Now, many other groups have more mixed performance with some good and some bad, like the consumer packaged goods, the insurers, the financial tech place. I see some bottoming in many of these, although nothing rallying hard enough and not enough staying power, but stay tuned. This is an incredible bottom line. The vast majority of stocks in these 15 sectors simply don't stay down after they're hit by waves of China-related selling or anything negative about President Trump. These all are under-owned sectors. They all go down big every time we get a large S&P 500 sell-off. But unlike so many other companies, though, they'll be going down for no fundamental reason, which is why you can rationally buy them into weakness like We had. In the last hour of today's trading, look at these. You're going to hear a lot about them from me in the coming weeks. Much more mad money ahead, including my take on the money behind the Masters. I'll tell you which golf stocks could be worth holding on to. Then my exclusive with the CEO of Magellan Midstream. The stock looked to be prime position to profit under President Trump, but it's down over 10% so far this year. What's ahead for the company? And in the second time in a week, Larry Kudlow's Sue jittery markets. I'll reveal my takeaways if you're sitting down with my old friend, Larry Kudlow. So stick with Kramer. This market's been up and down and up and down and up and down again so many times that what you really need here is a group with genuine staying power. And you know what has staying power here more than almost any group that I know? Golf. I'm not just saying that because the Masters tournament was genuinely exciting yesterday, was it? Thrilling finish, Patrick Reed held off challengers at one point or another, Jordan Spieth, Ricky Fowler, Rory McIlroy, who, by the way, stayed at my house once. I'm not kidding. For his first major win. For many people, I know that golf isn't exactly the pinnacle of excitement. It's not sexy. Some argue it shouldn't even be uh, a sport. The Masters had some massive ratings, though, especially when Tiger Woods was playing earlier in the tournament for the first time in years. Yet people are watching golf again, and this is part and parcel with the theme I've been telling you about for a while, the comeback in the game of golf, which has led to some fabulous performance from the golf-related stocks. I started pushing this story in 2016 when the industry first seemed to be turning. Then I reiterated my case about six months ago. Since then, two of the largest players in this space, Callaway and Akushnet, have had phenomenal runs. So I think you know what we got to check back. Got to prove to you what a powerful theme this is. Callaway, Eli, for all you home gamers, makes all things golf-related. It also owns a substantial chunk of something we've talked about many times: Top Golf, the privately held interactive driving range company that's the fastest-growing story in the whole industry. Christian Holdings, that's the aptly-titanned Golf, G-O-L-F, makes two of the most highly-respected brands in the space: Titleist and FootJoy. In an increasingly volatile and challenging environment, including the last half hour today, these two names have been terrific performers. Callaway Golf has given you a fantastic 45% gain from where I first recommended it in 2016, up another 15% from when I reiterated my call back in October. And there were many points where the stock pulled back and they gave you an opportunity to buy it, even at lower levels like I told you to do. Not, okay, not quite a hole-in-one, but definitely a few strokes under par. With the cushion, I made the mistake of telling you to wait and see six months ago. At that point, this was a fresh-faced company that had only been publicly traded for about a year. But I should have had more faith in them. Since then, the company has found its footing, and the stock has caught it's up a quick 12% since the beginning of 2018. Golf is in, and the pure play golf stocks are getting a lot of love, much like Tiger Woods back when he was still a beloved family-friendly celebrity. Hey, speaking of Tiger Woods, his return to the sport is having a very positive impact on the business. People love to watch him play, even when he's playing badly. If you look at the ratings for events where he participated, they were up more than 90% versus last year. And in case you missed Dom Chu's fantastic interview with the CEO of Bridgestone Golf last Thursday, he said the Tigers' endorsement of his golf balls allowed them to hit their forecast for the year. It's only April! Whether this translates into more people actually playing golf is an open question, but I bet it gives the business a boost. Still, the strength here is about more than one incredibly famous golfer. So what's driving these moves in the golf stocks? Let's start with Callaway. Since the last time I highlighted the company, it's reported two stellar quarters in a row. We're talking monster sales in earnings Beats that greatly exceeded Wall Street's expectations. Callaway's net sales were up 20% last year. The company's taking market share in every region where it operates. It's golf clubs, golf balls, and accessories are flying off the shelves. Not only are they selling more stuff, they're selling a larger proportion of expensive stuff that carries higher gross margins. Plus, thanks to Callaway's acquisition of Travis Matthew and OGIO, the business has gotten a lot less promotional. That's the power of consolidation at work. Even better, when you back out all that one-time noise, the company's adjusted earnings increased by 120% year-over-year. No wonder the stock's on fire. I don't even have any other companies that increase like that. Best of all, management's forecasts for 2018 were very, very bullish. Thanks to the strength in Callaway's core business and some new product launches, the numbers look great. On top of that, remember, these guys own chunk of Topgolf. The interactive driving range I just mentioned. And I've got to tell you something, Golf is the hottest thing in this entire industry. Callaway recently invested another $20 million in this concept, bringing its total ownership to somewhere around 14%. I think Callaway doesn't get nearly enough credit for this business. Now, because Topgolf is private, it's sure difficult to figure out how much it's actually worth. Wall Street can't seem to make up its mind about whether these guys are overpaid or underpaid. And the stock actually got dinged on the news back in December. Based on what Callaway paid, you might think Topgolf might— well, it should be worth about two billion dollars, meaning Callaway State comes to two hundred ninety million. But having spoken to these guys myself, I think the franchise will ultimately be worth much, much more than that. Hey, by the way, there's a new top golf-centric show premiering tonight on Golf Channel uh, at nine p.m. That can't hurt. Put it all together, I think Callaway still is an excellent story even after this run. To me, this stock seems fairly cheap. 21 times next year's earnings estimates, all right, tad expensive, wait a second, 30% long-term growth rate. And do not it's like, it's like a social media company uh, w- without the Senate hearings. And don't forget, the analysts have low-balled the estimates two quarters in a row, so there's every chance these numbers may end up being too low yet again. All right, how about this at Cushnet Holdings? When I last talked about the golf stocks in October, I said we needed to see more consistency from these guys. Well, they certainly delivered cushion Reported two very strong quarters in a row, and it's clear the business experienced a major pickup in the the second half of last year. Even more impressive, Akushnet held a major 8.3 million share secondary, you know, heavy, right, back in November, and the stock barely batted an eyelash. In fact, if you got it on the deal at 17 bucks, oh, wow, you did quite nicely. It's a 23 and change. Given the fuel of Korea... Still owns just over half the business now. I wouldn't be surprised if Cushion does more secondaries, so let them sell shares. But given the performance of the last one, I'd be a buyer if the stock gets dinged. Oh, and with the Cushion trading at nearly 14 times next year's earnings estimates, this one looks like a real bargain. That said, much uglier balance sheet than Callaway. Generally a bit of riskier proposition. I like it here. Ah, of course I'd like it at a lower level. Finally, while we're on the subject of golf, i got to issue with a culpa to you, our viewers. Back in October, I tried to be clever, never pays, recommended EPR properties as a golf play now this is a real estate investment trust that owns all sorts of entertainment and recreation properties including top golf driving ranges but i was too clever by half epr's golf business may be good but they have some real stinkers on their hands too including a bankruptcy from one of their charter school tenants as well as some not so hot retail exposure hence why the stock is down 22 percent since i highlighted ouch too bad there aren't mulligans in the stock game you know i was going to start with a golf club out here and i felt so bad about the epr i didn't want to joke around that's my bad. I got it wrong. Look, at least the takeaway is straightforward, though. If you want exposure to the burgeoning bull market in golf, golf, forget the diversified companies with a bit of golf business and just buy yourself a pure play like Callaway or Cushnet. The bottom line, Callaway and Cushnet have been breaking out, and thanks to the bull market in golf, I bet they've got more to run. Don't buy the derivatives. Buy the real thing. Let's go to Matt in New York. Matt. Jim, how are you? Matt, I'm good. How about you? Good. I had a question. Last night was WrestleMania, and it got me to thinking about
0: WWE and their stock. Um, is it time to buy them in December or January in relation to the WWE network? And when their subscribers start to pick up, do you buy in January before No, Royal no, Rebel no. Season? You know,
1: we we we've liked this thing. We had Mr. Barrios so I just think it's a good, solid entertainment story that's undervalued at about three billion dollars. I like it very much, and boy, does it have a lot less risk these days than a lot of other things. A lot of people love WrestleMania worldwide. Brent in Florida, Brent.
0: Jim, a big, sunny booyah to you from the Cigar City and home of the first-place team in the NHL Atlantic Division, the Tampa Bay Lightning.
1: Well, okay. That's good. The Flyers are in there. Let's see what happens. They play, they play the Penguins. Could be interesting. How can I help?
0: Jim, my question centers on retail and specifically Kohl's, KSS. Uh-huh. I saw your interview with Kevin Mansell, and he told a very convincing story regarding the promising he, of the company.
1: Didn't he tell a good story?
0: Go ahead. I'm sorry He's to mean you. No, not at all. He was he was fantastic, and the interview was fantastic. Uh, you know, especially in light of the the Amazon partnership. You know, retail is a little scary to me at this point. going to mm-hmm. talk about the demise to brick and order altogether at some point in the future. Having said that, I like Kohl's. Their stores appeal to a large uh, appeal to a large demographic. Right? Good fundamentals, good dividend payer. The stock has leveled off. Where are we going from here?
1: Okay, I think it with almost 4% yield. I've been telling members of, the, of uh, AxlersPlus.com Club, I'm going to say it again on my 1130 Comp call on Thursday, this is a story that is still early. I know when something's up 60%, you say I missed it, but it should never been down that much. I like the story, and I like the Amazon tie-up. All right, like it when I talk birdie to you? Golf oh, plays are terrific. Oh, come on. And I think Callaway and a Akushnik could help you score and have room to run. Much more mad money at, including my exclusive with a very challenged stock, very challenged industry, but a good company, CEO of Magellan Ministry. After a tough start to the year, could the company's stock be turning? Then, miss my reunion with my old pal, Larry Kudlow? Don't worry, I'm revealing my key takeaways from our talk this morning. And all your calls, rapid fire, tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. really tough. When the environment turns against one of your favorite companies, take Magellan Midstream Partners, (MMP). It's a pipeline master limited partnership that stores, transports, and distributes petroleum products. Last month, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, a real head-scratcher, made a tax ruling that's going to hurt many pipeline MLPs. And while Magellan said this ruling would be immaterial, the market had concerns about it. Investors are worried this ruling is going to make it more difficult for MLPs to raise their distributions. And for many investors, that's what these stocks are about. On top of that, a few weeks ago, Magellan announced that they won't be moving ahead with the construction of a new oil pipeline in Texas because there wasn't enough demand from shippers. That really surprised me, given that this is supposed to connect the Red Hot Permian Basin to the Gulf Coast. We're not going to build the pipeline, well, let's say as rapidly as we expected. Maybe there's not enough demand, so the stock should be less attractive. Is that true? We'll both cause the stock to get whacked. You know what, though? We're eager to give companies a chance to tell us how the market might be wrong especially given the company's terrific balance sheet and best-in-practice structure. So let's check in with Mike Mears. He's the chairman, president, and CEO of Magellan Midstream Partners to hear the story of this great company. Mr. Mears, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you. Hi, Jim. All right, Mike. I'm trying to understand it. Oil's at 62, 63. Magellan Midstream has got the best structure of all of them. You're the most conservative. You have the least debt. You've got your biennial annuals, annuals meeting. What will you say to allay fears?
2: Well, we've got a couple messages we're going okay. to convey tomorrow. First of all, our business hasn't changed. There's been a lot of things that have happened over the last two years, but when we set our goals for the next two years, we accomplished all of them. If you look at the last five years, we've almost doubled our cash flow and we've issued no equity. As we look forward, we have $1.3 billion of new construction projects developing, and we're still not going to issue any equity. We have best-in-class balance sheet, we have uh, a low, uh, we have a good coverage ratio, Right. and uh, we really have true. a we have a corporate governance structure. Again, a lot of the problems in this space have been concerned with governance. Right. We have a governance structure that's as close to a C Corp governance structure as you can get. We have uh, publicly elected directors. Right. We have best in class balance sheet, good distribution growth, and the FERC issue isn't going to affect us significantly.
1: Okay, well, let, let's try to understand this. It, it, how is it possible that a group – by the way, yours is one of the better performers of group. How is it possible that a group go so out of favor, despite the fact that we don't have enough pipelines in this country to bring oil to market?
2: Well, I think it's it's a combination of things. And and we think we've been drugged down with the group and we're kind of the baby thrown out with the bathwater. Okay, fair now, enough. We, if you look at some of the concerns with the group, it's with governance. There's, mm-hmm. some, there's been some uh, poor governance choices made. Uh, but without IDRs, without a GP, we don't have that problem. Right. Uh, the structure, I, I think, again, is a problem. Balance sheet, you've, you've seen companies really stretch their Some balance Some of them sheets. really
1: stretch yours. not.
2: We've maintained, even with significant growth, maintained our, cover, our balance sheet at a low, below four times debt to EBITDA, again, without issuing any equity, which right. we think is, we're very proud of. Right. Uh, and growth. I mean, a lot of companies, I think people are fearing that the growth is gone. We're, we have 8% growth uh, guidance this year. We have 5% to 8% for the next two years. That hasn't changed with the FERC right. ruling. And I think the FERC was the last straw but, to but bring but the market talk down. I mean, let's like
1: It's President Trump. But this FERC ruling is anti-pipeline. Mike, it's anti-pipeline. There's no, there's no denying that.
2: I'm not going to deny it. I, I, it caught the industry by surprise. The FERC set this up 15 years ago to allow MLPs to take a tax allowance they changed that with this ruling. No one saw this coming and so now there's been a significant and the market didn't see it coming and so there's a significant negative bias.
1: Can it be reversed?
2: There's a chance it can be reversed. Nothing like this happens quick with the firm. You know we think there's some very good arguments why this is the wrong decision Mm -hmm. but even if it's not reversed its impact on Magellan is going to be minimal.
1: Couldn't you still have the same posture about raising your distribution with or without the FERC? Ruling, or does this curtail growth in joint ventures that we were looking for? Absolutely not. Our,
2: our guidance is not changed at all. We don't anticipate having to drop our rates at all, uh, certainly for the next mm-hmm. two years. And then after that, we think if there is any drop, it's going to be very minimal. And so we're not concerned with the FERC ruling. Um, but, you know, the market is. But and is there
1: as much demand as it used to be? You did back away from that one pipeline.
2: We did. It's not because of lack of demand. Okay. Uh, it's it's, it's a ex- hyper-competitive market in the Permian okay. right now. We had interest in our pipe, we just didn't have enough to pursue it. But the worst thing you can do in this market is overbuild. I mean, right. The midstream space has a history of overbuilding. Right. We have two pipes out of the Permian today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last thing you want to do is build last one more than is actually needed. Right. It hurts all of
1: them. Well, all I can tell you is, is that I did an analysis of the biggest 12, and yours is down the least, but it's down. I mean, maybe it is baby bath water. It makes the most sense. I can't explain it otherwise.
2: We have to keep doing what we're doing. We're, we're focused on on our our business plan, and it's worked in the past. It's going to work in well, the
1: future. Well, I appreciate you coming on. It's been tough to find people who will come on. I wish you best of luck at your analyst day. Thank That's you. Michael Muir. He's the chairman, president and CEO of Magellan Midstream Partners. What a tough group, but best in show. We have money's back after the break. And then the lighting round is over. Are you ready? Skate. Got it. Time for the lighting round. Bad money. Kramer's mama. Let's start with Kevin in Illinois. Kevin. Hey, Jim. Great speaking with you. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. Thank you. Longtime listener. Enjoy listening to you on my on the podcast on my commute home. There you go. Podcast. Fabulous. Hey, um, HPQ. Um, I love the stock. I've listened to your interviews with the CEO. Um, can't figure out why the stock's not getting started. Look, there is just an hire. overall hatred of technology. Like, there was a, a love of technology. I happen to think that HBQ is doing terrific, and I am standing here at 20 and saying bye. Let's go to John in North Carolina. John.
2: Hey, Jam. Love your show. I was Thank curious you. what you think about AMD.
1: Straight down because of uh, Bitcoin? Straight down? I don't buy that. I think under ten, you want to pick up some AMD. Let's go to Jordan in Pennsylvania. Jordan, how you doing, Jim? Well, you know what? Uh, you know, scolded by the last hour, doing okay. Otherwise, how about you? Good. Uh, my question was about U.S. Steel. Um, I was bullish for a while, and just everything that's been happening kind of bearish on it how do you feel about it well look we got nucor which is really the company it doesn't need any help at all from the government but you know what it's right that they do because the chinese are not fair traders n-u-e is the one you want to buy i'm going to derek in new hampshire derek hey kramer booyah booyah hey del taco is it a buy or a hold I don't know, man. We got so many other in that group. Do we really have to go Dell Taco? How about we go Dell McDonald's or Dell Darden? Those are all better. I would even go Michael Dell if they were still publicly traded. Let's go to Leonard in Nevada. Leonard.
0: Yes, I bought Snap at 1950. so I take my loss or so hold man, on. Man, you
1: know, we never care where stocks come from when they have money. We care where it's going to, and I think that one is going nowhere. Let's go to Bill in California. Bill. Hi, Jim. Sure like your show. Thank you. What do you think of Empire State Realty Trust? It's got too low a yield for the real estate investment trust. There's ones that are higher that are better. I need to go to Ray in Georgia. Ray! Hey,
0: Jim. Thanks for all you do. Uh, I know that listening to you the last few years has definitely made me a better investor. Thank you. Still have uh, a lot to learn. And something that I had a question about is the Essent Group. They took a 15% decline today. It appears to be because of competition on pricing. I, I got to tell, tell you something, Ray.
1: I looked at that, and I don't know why it happened, and I got to do more work. Particularly, it's a Radner outfit, which is right around the corner from where I'm from. So I'm not going to cuff that one. We will come back. Arthur in California. Arthur.
0: Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. This seller hold right. Dupont's Dow Dupont. Uh, oh, this self. stock
1: is down way too much. I'm telling people, like, travel it's at Action Awards conference called 1130. I know I seem like I'm rolling this, but it's up huge. And just because they have one really crop protection problem, I'm not cutting and running. Not with, no, no, not with Ed Breen at the helm. He's too good. He's created too much value. I want to go to Jacob in Washington. Jacob! Hey, Jim, bringing you a big booyah from Washington, D.C., home of the Redskins. Well, also home of the uh, Nats. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I'm, uh, I've, I've had you on in my household for 15 years since I was a little kid. Uh, now I'm just getting into investing with a, with a little Robinhood account I have. Wanted to ask you a question about a healthcare stock, Genmark Diagnostics, GNMK. You know, I, look, it's a good spec. Uh, It's just that it's not my kind of, it's not my cup of tea. I mean, there's nothing to matter with speculating, though, as long as you remember, don't put a lot of money that you may need into that stock. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round.
0: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: Please don't blame Trump. Blame China, Jimmy. China has been the problem. Mr. Trump is involving himself and reacting to the problem on behalf of American industries. But China started this years ago. Larry, how do I describe the experience of interviewing my old friend, who just happens to be the chief economic advisor of the president of the United States? I got to tell you, it's surreal and joyous, but mostly surreal. This morning, I had the opportunity to interview Larry Kudlow, my former Kudlow and Kramer co-host on Squawk on the Street. We worked together for three years, and I have to say that he absolutely deserves his job as the director of the National Economic Council, a terrific honor, well-deserved. I've always felt that Larry's an inspiration, but more important, at least for our purposes, I have a little insight into how the guy thinks. And I can tell you that when it comes to economic policy, Larry Kudlow has two main beliefs growth is a panacea and be an optimist, because optimism is rewarded in both the stock market and in real life. Both views were on display today during our interview, and I think they helped push the market higher when we were still roaring this morning. Now, I know what you're thinking. There's a Trump ceiling and a Trump floor. The ceiling, Trump's angry words, a war of words with the Chinese. he can't seem to stop himself from saying China's just a plain bad actor and better change its ways or, or else, whatever else might be. The sudden call for $100 billion in digital tariffs list we came out of nowhere. Unsettled, the market seemed to be holding its own until then. Then, on the other hand, there's the Trump floor. That floor amounts to Larry Kudlow coming on air and reminding us that nothing's a done deal and that there are still ongoing negotiations. And more important, he's confident everything will work out in our favor. When he says it, as he did last week before Trump's $100 billion ride post, the market bottoms and U-turns, same as it did earlier today. The problem is that not longer after we bounce off the floor, we tend to get slammed right into the ceiling. So we need to figure out whether the president is done with the saber rattling that's holding the stock market back. Larry sure made us feel like it's a thing of the past. He did it by explaining that even though he's been a free trader all his life, I can verify that, but but because he's so pro-growth, China will become a hindrance to global growth unless it starts playing ball. In other words, tariffs can be consistent with a free trade pro-growth agenda as long as they're designed to open up China's markets, which is where he thinks this is all headed. But it is an unpredictable administration. We don't know if Trump's ceiling got a little lift today when the president blamed our own past leaders more than China for the state of our trade deals. We don't know whether China's decision to stop supplying items to North Korea that can be used for weapons that they announced this weekend will be viewed as an olive branch eventually. I think all of us are concerned that the Trump ceiling seems to pop up so unexpectedly. But I think Larry's floor might be as strong Trump's ceiling, which means that the Trump-inspired dips can be bought. Secure the knowledge that Larry will be right there to remind us why we need to be more optimistic about these negotiations with China. That said, there was one discordant note when Larry said the stock market's been doing just fine during this period. I have to disagree. This is not what fine looks like. It's a little too uh, volatile. Still, though, we have to remember that Larry said Trump's push against China is, and I quote, a good exercise that will lead to a better growth. Maybe he's mistaken, but if he's right, we should stop fearing Chinese retaliation quite so much and instead think about embracing this market into China-inspired weakness. Can you imagine if this trade spat actually had a positive outcome? Well, wouldn't that be huge? Seems like a kind of a long shot, but we need to take the possibility into account. Listen, it's right to respect the Trump ceiling just don't forget about the trump floor or you'll miss out on some nice moves like we had this morning you can be skeptical without allowing despair to become the watchword for your portfolio you know what and try a little optimism now and then it does work stick with quick curious reversal at the end of the day but you know i gotta tell you something tomorrow is facebook day and we're going to be glued to Zuckerberg to see what he's going to say. Stock trading down and after hours off a very interesting fast money chart. But you know what? Who knows what's going to happen, right? I can't wait to see the testimony. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here when we have money. I'm Jim Kramer and I will see you
0: tomorrow.